Let's face it, we live most of our lives online these days. From shopping, to rideshare apps, to having groceries delivered to our door, the internet has made us more connected than ever. Unfortunately, with that increased connection comes an increased risk of online threats to our sensitive information and potentially our finances. Some people think managing money is easy. This is a podcast for the rest of us. Talking about this stuff can be intimidating, which is why TuneIn has teamed up with U.S. Bank to create this podcast series. Our goal is to introduce ideas, tell stories, and give you some tips to help improve your financial IQ. Welcome to The Safe Space, brought to you by U.S. Bank. Today's episode, Safe Online Practices. Hey everyone, Kelly Sutton here, and welcome back to another episode of The Safe Space, where we tackle all sorts of financial issues you encounter at different stages in your life. In this episode, we're going to talk about something that might not seem as obvious when it comes to financial literacy, safe online practices. Almost without warning, so much of our lives are now online. I mean, I bank online, I shop online, I book my vacations, talk to my friends. I basically share my entire life online. It didn't just happen overnight, but it has become the new normal. And unfortunately, we've all heard those horror stories of compromised information, identity theft, or a stolen credit card number. The truth is, we are vulnerable in a lot of ways we don't even realize. But before you decide to burn every piece of technology you have and go off the grid, take a deep breath. We're here to help. Today, we are joined by experts and special guests to talk about online security and money management. Here's what we've got lined up for you. First off, Cheddar News anchor Hope King will sit down with Chief Technology Officer of Power Consulting Group, Jason Laporte. He's going to give us the lowdown on how you can protect yourself from predatory online scams. Next, Krista Williams, friend of the pod and victim of identity theft, will share her own story and remind you why you should always pay attention to your snail mail, even if you think it's only junk. Our friend Josh Modell from Talk House will be speaking with musician Ian Williams from the band Battles. And lastly, money girl Laura Adams is back with a few online safety tips just for you. I'm curious to learn more about the do's and don'ts when it comes to taking care of business online and protecting my personal information. So secure your network and log on for this episode of The Safe Space, because it's time to go to scam school. One of the things I am hyper vigilant about, online scams. Between phishing and malware, they're getting more advanced and even harder to spot. Thankfully, our friend Hope King from Cheddar News sat down with the CTO of Power Consulting Group, Jason Laporte, to share some helpful advice. Jason is a highly qualified, hands-on technology officer with more than 20 years of information technology and cybersecurity experience under his belt. Every day, he uses his knowledge to guide customers in developing safe networking and cybersecurity practices for their businesses something that feels increasingly important these days. So let's send it over to Hope and Jason to help us navigate this dangerous and unpredictable digital world. 
Excited to come back, Kelly, and link up with you guys at TuneIn and US Bank for the Save Space podcast. I want to raise all our financial IQs, including mine, when it comes to something we all use, or misuse, should I say, which is the internet. Joining me today to make sure you don't become a victim of an online scam is the Chief Technology Officer at Power Consulting Group, Jason Laporte. Jason, welcome to the podcast. I hope. Happy to be here. All right. So I feel like we may all still be making mistakes when it comes to the kinds of communications that we may respond to. Let's go through some of the most common types of scams. And phishing, it's still one of the most common types of scams. And exactly what is phishing? Sure. So phishing is malicious emails or texts or even phone calls that are sent to you pretending to be somebody else. And they're trying to get you to give out personal information, whether it's your home address, your full name, social security numbers, credit card numbers, or getting you to click on a link to install malicious software on your computer or your mobile device. All right. And why does this still work? Why do people still use phishing as a tactic? It works because it still works. As long as we're not diligent, as long as we're so busy in our lives and we have our ever-present mobile devices and we're just running around and just clicking, we we really don't think about the risks of everything we click on or everything we, we sign our information into. And so until people start being diligent about it and thinking about where they're putting their information, people are going to keep doing it. What are some of the most common signs that might tip us off that somebody is trying to fish us? So there's a lot of little signs you can look for. The first thing is if you're getting an email from asking about account information, do you even have an account with this company? Have you signed up before? Are they asking for things that they shouldn't ask for, like your password or your personal information or to verify your address or your social security number? No legitimate bank is going to do that. No legitimate service is going to ask you to verify that kind of information. But also, is the grammar correct? Does it have your name in the email? Are there misspellings? What is the email address that's actually coming from? Is it a Gmail address? Your, you know, your bank is never going to send you an email from your from a Gmail account. I think that's really important because these fishers have gotten around this by masking themselves as your bank, and it looks like it's coming from your bank. That email address, without taking a second glance. Yeah, and that's that's what they hope you do. You're going to look at just the display name and go, okay, great, click on it, i got to go, I don't want to lose access. And they get you with some urgency. Click here or your account will be disabled, or someone has been in your account, please click here to verify that you're who you are. And so they get a little bit of fear going, and so you're like, oh boy, i got I got to deal with this right now, and you just kind of click. And it's too late. Once you start giving that information out, it's kind of hard to roll it back. Okay, I was going to ask, because what if you do accidentally give away that information? Well, you have to try and figure out where it's from, what information you've given out. Sometimes it's, it's innocuous. Sometimes they're just collecting information from more mailing lists. Sometimes it's a virus that they're trying to install. So you, you kind of got to look at it and maybe contact an IT professional or run a, a, an antivirus scan on your computer if you're on, a, on your computer and just try and figure it out. Do you have to change any of your information if the information you gave out was sensitive? Yes. So if you've given out any passwords or anything, you definitely need to change that. You need to keep an eye on your accounts. Maybe be a little more proactive now since you've given some information out about your security going forward, looking at things like your credit report, watching who accesses your email. And that leads into some of the other security things you can do, like having better password hygiene. 
Is there a way we can just figure out what are the most common phishing schemes out there? Sometimes they all hit at once, right? Kind of like viruses. Yeah, so there's a lot of mass phishing attacks that get sent to millions and millions of people, and they're pretty common. And then there's more targeted ones that you have to be a little careful about. Someone might choose you for what's called a phishing attack and social engineer you, look you up on Facebook and LinkedIn, and make a much more targeted attack because they've decided you're a desirable person. Whether you're on Instagram and you seem to be very wealthy or you work at a company that they're trying to get access to. So depending on the type of scam, some of them are pretty obvious if you just look twice. Some of them are very good and very creative. Right. And and that's why, again, they work, unfortunately. Let's talk about ransomware. This is on the rise. So explain what ransomware is and how it's malicious. Sure. Ransomware is basically locking the files on your computer by encrypting them with a passcode. And it's a passcode that the bad actors have and you don't. And it comes from phishing attacks usually or bad websites or infected websites. And it's, it holds your files so you can't access them. And it literally ransoms them to you. So you'll get a message that says, pay three Bitcoin to this email address and we will give you the encryption key. Does it always work? If you pay, you'll get them back? More times than not, you won't get it back anyway. So do you advise most people to pay that ransom? I don't for a lot of reasons. One, there's a good chance you're not going to get it back. Two, you're just encouraging it to happen again and again. And most people who are targeted by ransomware and pay become bigger targets, meaning they know you'll pay, so now they're going to phishing attack you and target you as someone they know will pay. Your best defense is having a good password, having multi-factor authentication to protect your accounts, but also sometimes it's unavoidable, so a backup, keeping a backup offline. So cloud backups are great, but they have the same problems with accessibility from your computer. So a hard drive, a USB drive, a thumb drive with your important files, pictures, whatever is really important to you that you have digitally. So I think that's really key, right, is that maybe you have multiple backups. If you have one backup on a cloud drive, have a backup maybe on another cloud drive and a hard drive. Yeah. As many redundancies as you can. You can never have too much backup. I agree. All right. So don't throw away those old hard drives yet, you guys. Let's talk about some safety practices that you can implement every day to prevent maybe some of these things from happening or maybe from being hacked or being targeted. Let's talk about passwords. I feel like every time a big hack happens, we have to go through this again. Do not Make your password just password. Do not make your password the same all across platforms. But it's hard to remember all the passwords. So really, is it that bad to use the same password for all of your accounts? It is, unfortunately. And I know it's it's difficult and it makes, you know, you're sitting there trying to get in. You're trying to remember what it is. And a lot of these companies store your passwords in unsecure ways. And then when they get hacked, they have your email address. They have your password. And now these attackers take it and try that username and password as quickly as possible on all the banks that they know and PayPal and Facebook and all these things. So obviously having separate passwords for everything is ideal, but very difficult. The average user has 50, 60, 70 accounts to remember, and remembering that many passwords is almost impossible. What do you do as an expert? How do you keep it all straight? Do you write it down somewhere? Do you have that file locked up on a digital drive somewhere? So I use a password manager. Password managers are great. There's obviously risks with using one, which is that all your passwords are now stored in one place. So you need to use a very strong password for that one password manager that you use nowhere else. You need to use multi-factor authentication, which is a device on your cell phone that will 
give you a code you need to have. So it's something you know, which is the password, and something you have, which is your cell phone. And that keeps it a little more locked. And you've got to be diligent about looking at the password managers. Make sure you're using a strong one and using it effectively. So if you're using the same password for everything in the password manager, that defeats the purpose. And why isn't SMS the best for multi-factor? So SMS, text messaging, is a very convenient way to get it. However, it can be stolen. There's something called SIM swapping, where bad actors call up uh, AT&T or Verizon, and they convince them, using some of the personal information that's out there about you, that they're you, and you ha- they have a new phone, and now they can control your text messages. Well, what do you do then? I mean, I thought at least two-factor is good. What are the other ways to authenticate? Various versions of two-factor. There's things like Google Authenticator that generate random pins and RSA. And there are SMS. If you do have something that you need to use SMS, and unfortunately some banks, for instance, only provide SMS, you can do what's called a, a SIM lock. So most providers let you lock your SIM and put a pin code on it so that your PIN needs to be entered with any SIM that tied to your account. It's like a two-factor for your two-factor. I love it. All right, I'm going to go home and do that right away. What are some other common mistakes that people make when it comes to their Internet safety they can fix? So they don't keep their systems up to date. That's a key one. Update what the manufacturers, Microsoft, Apple, are putting out there because they're pushing these updates out mostly for security reasons. It's one out of ten a function reason. It's mostly security. Have antivirus on your computer. Even a freeware one is better than nothing. And just take a second and don't click on something if you're not sure. Look for things like the lock at the top of your browsers to show that it's HTTPS, which secures and says you are talking to the website you think you are. I think what's also kind of scary is that people think that all ads and links on a Facebook or an Instagram are actually just regular ads and they're all safe, but that's not actually true. It's not. Facebook and Instagram, they try and do their best, but there are lots of ads by lots of people and not all of them are safe. And they may have been safe at one point, but a very popular ad might be hijacked. The website that it goes to is hijacked by bad actors because they know it's popular. And we have no way of telling on the front end. No, I mean, you can look for some obvious signs, like you're being redirected to a site that's not where you expect to go. You can look for a site that's not using HTTPS at the top and doesn't have a little lock symbol in your browser, but there's no guarantees. So, again, be careful what you're clicking on. Think about, do I really need to click on this? Am I doing it? Is my computer up to date? Am I, is it asking me for something? It shouldn't be asking you for anything. All right. Well, that is also really scary because you just want to browse and you don't even know that these are malicious links. What about the camera on your laptop? A lot of people seem to be of the mindset you should put tape over it. What about you? I'm not against it. The hardware on every laptop and every desktop has a little LED light in it, and it's hard-coded into the computers for this purpose. So someone maliciously can't turn the light off if they turn your camera on. So you have a decent indication if it's a concern. I don't like covering it with tape because people like to use their camera, and then it gets all gooey and looks bad. So they sell little camera covers for a dollar. They're really cheap online, and they slide up back and forth. Generally, I'm not overly concerned about it. There's nothing security-related that they're going to see. I'm actually much more concerned about the microphone being open, which has the same vulnerability, but they might hear things that are much more 
sensitive than what they might be able to see. And there's no LED light to let you know the microphone. There isn't. Oh, goodness. So what do you do then if you're worried about that? So if you're really worried about that and you're the person that puts tape over their camera because they're worried, you can get a little 3.5-millimeter headphone jack with a microphone, like an old iPhone cable, and cut it off, cut the wire off, and put it in your jack. And that'll disable the microphone. I love it. Okay. Well, speaking of listening devices and things that listen to us, new voice assistants are out every single day, and there's more concerns about it. Is Alexa actually listening to your conversations if you don't say, hey, Alexa? They're not. But I can understand why people are concerned about them. They are listening, and they are recording you. And so if you say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, it starts recording and starts listening. Now, everything you say after that is both recorded and sent to Google or Amazon or whoever. But they're not perfect, so sometimes they hear what they think is, hey, Google, or hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri, and start recording. And that information might get sent, and you don't even realize it. I think it defeats the purpose to unplug these devices unless you're using them. What other methods do you use to secure your voice assistance? So keep them out of sensitive places where you might be calling banks. Uh, Don't put them everywhere, maybe in your living room or somewhere. Don't use them to secure security devices, alarms, cameras, smoke detectors, things that you don't want people messing with. Keep them to having limited access. Make sure you go through. There's a bunch of security precautions each of these vendors give you. You can go through their menus, but they're not all set up by default. Make sure that you teach it to hear your voice. Okay, good to know. And then what about purchase passwords? Because now with Amazon Alexas, for example, you can add to your cart and you can check out, basically. What are some of the ways that we can implement, you know, so our kids, people who come in, don't just buy stuff on our account? Right. So Amazon gives you a way of putting a pin as well. That's a security pin to buying. So you can't just say hey, honey, get me some milk, and then Amazon hears that and puts milk in your cart. Well, now that all of our devices really work together, is there a way to separate them, right? You mentioned not having the voice assistants control different aspects of your house, but if it is something that you want, what's the best way to ensure that no one is also messing with your alarm systems? So you just got to keep them separate. Certain things don't belong on the Internet. Certain th- I know it's convenient, but certain things don't belong tied to the convenience of being able to add groceries with, by just using your voice. What do you recommend absolutely not being connected to a voice assistant? Alarms, cameras, fire alarms, anything that's security-related, garage door openers, anything that you can use to access your house. And purchasing is a sticky one. Just make sure you have the PIN code on if you're going to do that. All right, well, you heard it here first. Do not connect all of them together, as tempting as it might be. Yes. All right, Jason, I've learned a lot, and I feel more secure just having talked to you. So hopefully everybody else out there who has listened feels the same. Jason Laporte is CTO at Power Consulting Group. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you, Hope, and thank you, Jason. I'm going to go change all of my passwords right now. (laughs) When it comes to online scams and how to prevent them, I'm feeling much more informed and aware after that chat. Great stuff. Thanks again, guys. So, we just got some good advice. Now for the flip side, a cautionary tale about identity theft. I know some of you listening are thinking, yeah, yeah, I should get around to that someday, but it probably won't happen to me. 
Well, listen, it happens to real people. Like my friend, Krista, I've asked her to come in today and share her story. Thank you so much for being here. You got it. Anytime, Kelly. Okay, this happened to you. It really was kind of a nightmare. Tell me how it all started. Well, honestly, I accidentally sort of found out about it because it really looked like a solicitation. I got something in the mail Mm -hmm. that said congratulations on your new plan. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of weird. And I looked at it and it totally looked like a solicitation. Like normally I'd just throw it away. I don't open things that come and just show up. It looks, I mean, you brought the letter in. It totally looks like junk mail. I probably would have thrown that away. It totally does. The only thing it said was welcome to the company. Yeah. And uh, it was in a, the envelopes with the windows. So Mm -hmm. it looked like a solicitation and things that I'd normally throw away. And I, was like, you know what? It says, welcome to the company. I should maybe check it out. So I opened it. And when I opened it, it basically said, thanks for choosing this company and welcome to our mobile phone company or mobile phone family or whatever you want to say. And I was like, huh, I didn't think my husband was going to change plans. I thought we were really happy with our mobile phone. (laughs) Right. And so I opened it and I don't know, it might have even been a day or two before I talked to him about it. And the next day... The crazy thing is, another one showed up in my mailbox. Okay, so at this point, you've gotten two letters. Yep. They look kind of like junk mail, but it's also telling you that you've switched phone plans. You've opened a new plan with a company you don't currently work with. Correct. And so now all the alarms have to be going off. Yep. That night, obviously, I talked to my husband. I was like, what's going on? Are we changing phone plans? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the next day, I called the company, and I spoke to their customer service department, and they confirmed that I had two accounts. And I said, well, I did not apply for these. This is not something that I want. So she said, okay, we'll transfer you to the fraud account, or fraud department, whatever they call it. So I got transferred to the fraud department, and they confirmed that I have not one, not two, but three new accounts. (laughs) So people are opening accounts... Under your name. Yep. They had my social security and my address and my name, obviously. They had your social security number. They did. So, How did, how in the world, do you have any idea how that could have possibly happened? Uh, the only thing that was going on in life at the time was my husband had recently changed jobs. Okay. And the company was in the state where the purchases happened. Because when I talked to the fraud department, they actually said that They all were set up in this state. They went to a specific store. Here's the store they went to. Two of them were purchased here. One was purchased here. So, yeah, I think it all happened when all the healthcare information got transferred. I really think that that's how it happened because they're the only people that really have your information. So I think the healthcare transition is what actually someone there stole the information and used it to their advantage, I guess. And I still can't figure out why I think about this. And it happened a couple of years ago, so I had to go back and reflect on it. But I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, why would they do this? Because they never actually used the phones. So that was the weird part was they didn't use the phone. But then I was talking about it and I'm like, you know what? They probably got that $800 new iPhone or $1,000 iPhone or whatever it was at the time. And They didn't use it, but they probably resold it somewhere else and they figured out how to use that. So they got the free phone and signed up for the plan and it just went from there. How deep did this go? Because it started off with their opening new mobile phone 
accounts. Right. And then it went to, they're applying for one of the big box stores to get a membership oh, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, how, how deep did this go, Krista? After I talked with the phone company, they said, there's nothing else you have to do. So I went about my business. And then I got a note from one of the big box stores that said, oh, you've applied for credit. Not mm. somebody, but I have. At that point, I was like, okay, this is going further than I thought. So it was actually suggested that I reach out to the police. So I called the cops and the cops came to my house and, you know, the police car rolled up to my house and hung out for a bit. You know, neighbors, neighbors love that one. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, had a, they had a ball. They were like, is everything okay? I was like, yep, everything's fine. It's We're fine. really good. It's okay. It's fine. Is there anything wrong? Do you need help? I'm like, no, I don't need help. It's really all good. It's totally fine. <laughs> no, so, somebody's just buying stuff in my name. So at that point, I thought we were good. Yeah. You filed a police report. Yep. Okay. And that was, I think that was in January. Actually, I think it was in February, January, February, March-ish. So next year in January or February, maybe March or April, you know, we were filing our taxes. And it turns out my CPA reached out after we sent her all our paperwork and she's doing what she's supposed to do. She called and she's like, hey, did you file your taxes on your own? And I was like, no, I didn't file any taxes. And she's like, okay, let me call you back. So she went and did some investigation and sure enough, somebody had filed taxes in my name. So somebody used your social security number to file taxes. Yep. What she said was basically... They probably filed the maximum return they possibly could. So you can file for up to, I think it's almost seven kids, and you get returns for seven kids and the maximum return. And she goes, they probably got away with anywhere from fifteen to $20,000. And I was like, wait, what? Wow. I'm like, am I on the hook for that? And she's like, nope. They'll just send it to the fraud department. But going forward, we're going to have to file paper tax returns. So for the next couple of years, we had to file tax returns. And earlier, back in probably March, when all the, the stuff went down with the phones and the big box store, I also froze my credit. Mm -hmm. So I currently live with frozen credit because I don't want someone to right. go back out and do that. Because really, they still have it. It's a ripple effect. I mean... There's no way to stop it. And I don't think that there was any way to stop it. I'm just thankful that we still used mail. Mm -hmm. If it had been an email, they probably could have made up their own email address yeah. and had it sent to them directly. So thankful for the U.S. post office because <laughs> so that's really how I found out. When you went to freeze your credit, yep. did you find other things on there or was it the stuff you already knew about? Thankfully, no. It was okay. just the other stuff I knew about. But I did actually sign up to have my name removed from any pre-approved credit offers. If I have to buy a car or a house or if I have to apply for a credit card or anything like that, I will have to say, okay, so what credit reporting company are you going to contact? Because I now have to lift my freeze for X amount of time. Right. So when we refinance our house, we have to go and get that lifted so that I can get a temporary lift because I won't actually ever have credit that's quote-unquote open. It's always frozen. I mean, I wish that I could show everybody just how thick the file is that you walked in here with because it is truly unbelievable. I mean, it's an inch thick. This happened yep. years ago. This happened 2011, you said. It did. So what is it like for you now? Obviously, you still have the freeze on your credit. Yes. But have you become a lot more aware of everything that's around? I, th I would think oh, it would make sure. me hyper aware. Well, I open all of my junk mail now. Yeah. 
<laughs> because yeah. the things that looked like junk could possibly not be junk. So I open my junk mail. I don't open emails that are unsolicited or things that just go directly to junk. You know, it makes you question everything when you get something from, I, I, you know, I got one from Apple. They're like, oh, your thing has been used. And I was like, no, they don't contact you. But anyway, so it makes me question a lot of stuff. But it also makes me wonder, should I freeze my kid's credit? Should my husband live with frozen credit? Because, you know, it was so easy for them to steal mine. And they won't know until they're, yeah. goodness, hopefully not. Well, probably in college when they apply for their first credit card, which... You know how that goes. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, will they find out then that theirs has been stolen? You know, you don't know. So I don't know. I don't know how to stop it and I don't know how to prevent it. But you just have to be vigilant and pay attention to what's coming to your house and what's coming in to you and just pay attention. Oh, my goodness. It was crazy. And it still is crazy, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there are times... Our CPA sent us a note and said, we're going to electronically file. I'm like, oh, we can do that now? Oh, yay. Because <laughs> I'm so used to doing paper. So yeah. it's kind of one of those things. And the crazy thing is, is we found out that the government agency actually does direct deposits. So they didn't even check the bank account that they deposited the refund into. Oh, my goodness. So okay. that money just went poof and it went to the fraud department. But I, you know, I think about all the money that gets lost. and. Yeah. You know, all the things that can get stolen and you just have to be vigilant and pay attention. It's be really vigilant. what it comes down to. Very true. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry this happened to you, but I'm so glad that you're telling everybody because maybe we can prevent this from happening to somebody else. Uh, I hope so. Just, yeah. you know, it's crazy what can happen. That was a tough experience. I know it certainly makes me reassess the way my information's being used. Okay, Save Spacers, after the break, we'll check in with Talkhouse and their special guest, a guitarist from the experimental rock group Battles, Ian Williams. And then we'll circle back with our resident expert, the money girl, Laura Adams, for smart ways you can keep your private information close to the vest. This episode of the Save Space podcast is brought to you by U.S. Bank. For everyone working toward their goal, U.S. Bank is there to help. Whether you're starting a business or dealing with unexpected expenses, U.S. Bank wants to help you grow your financial IQ so you can handle whatever life throws at you. From personal finance to business strategies, access free resources that will help you improve your financial literacy. There's something for everyone. Visit usbank.com slash financial IQ or just tell your smart speaker, enable grow your financial IQ. Okay, let's get back to the safe space. Welcome back, all. So safeguarding your online life isn't just about avoiding scams. That's why we reached out to our friends at TalkHouse to get a different perspective on what this can mean for artists and their work. If you've been listening to The Safe Space, you'll remember that TalkHouse brings together awesome guests from a host of different backgrounds to get interesting and one-of-a-kind perspectives on a range of topics. So we're going to kick it over to our friend Josh Modell and the team from TalkHouse as they sit down with Ian Williams from the band Battles. I believe Ian had one of his records leaked about a month before its release. So I'm interested to hear him talk about the impact that had on the band and how musicians in general are thinking about protecting their work these days, especially in a digital first world. Let's listen in. So mostly I think what we wanted to talk to you about was 
online security, basically. And as a guy who has had his music leak before he wanted it to be out into the world, I just wanted to hear A, those stories, and B, ask you some follow-ups on how that affected you. So can you tell me about the, I know you had a record leak a fairly long time ago, right? Yeah, we had a leak, I think it was in 2012. And before the record comes out, Usually your record label makes copies for journalists to listen to so you get your reviews to appear at the same time as your album release. So they watermark each digital copy that Mm -hmm. goes out there so they can trace which person has which copy. So theoretically, if it would ever leak, it'd say, hey, you leaked the record. So I guess that system sort of works, but then what happened was that the record did leak and they found the journalist who leaked it, and they said, hey, you, you leaked the record. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders, and he said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the thing was, the journalist was a, apparently like the most important journalist in Belgium for this kind of music, and it was kind of like, what are you going to do about it? Because the record label couldn't really say, you're cut off, or there's not going to be like any legal action, because it was sort of like, Oh, actually, we need you more than <laughs> than he needs us. Uh, so it, it sort of shows you the limitations of some kinds of safeguards. It kind of reminds me when I was touring in the early '90s, and we thought we were really clever because we had a clause on our contract for a gig that said for any show where the local promoter misspelled your name, you, you could get an extra hundred dollars. Uh-huh. My band's name at the time was called Don Caballero. And I remember it was an awful promoter, like so many things went wrong with the show. And so we discovered that the flyer, or maybe it was the marquee up front, it like misspelled our name as well. So I was like, hey, you owe us a, a, an extra hundred dollars. And she just goes, sue me. <laughs> and and then, like within one second, I realized, oh, it doesn't really matter. Like sometimes the safeguards that you think are in place, like actually that don't do anything. It, it like instantly taught me something about how the world works. <laughs> the same with like a certain kind of journalist leaks your record. He's like, yeah, what are you gonna do about it? And you're like, uh, oh, I guess I really can't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, the only thing they could do is kind of take his privileges away. But it sounds like they didn't want to do that. Yeah. So when that record leaked, how long before its intended release was it out there in the world? I would say it leaked probably like maybe a month and a half earlier. Oh, wow. Then it should have been released, yeah. And how does that affect you emotionally at the time? Like, Do you freak out or you just kind of expect it or, or how do you feel? Well, I mean, it's such a monumental thing. I mean, it's so hard to sort of wrap your mind around, you know, when you're sitting there in your local town where you made your music and that it gets mass produced suddenly and people in multiple countries around the world suddenly have it. It's hard to even kind of wrap my mind around that. And what does it mean that they have it six weeks early? I I don't know. There's sort of a counter theory that it doesn't even matter. Uh And especially in today's age of things like streaming, where, you know, basically the Spotify's and the Apple Music's are kind of giving your music away for free. Uh, Like, does it really matter that it leaks? Maybe that helps. And especially now, I don't even know if people care if it leaks. If, for example, my band battles is at that point with a new record, we're, we're about six weeks away, and somebody said it leaked. And then it was actually sort of like a weird dud link. Like, it sort of said, here's the album, but, like, nothing came off of it. It was like a fake leak. Mm. Like, what? what is a fake huh. leak? I don't even understand why that happens. 
I mean, maybe you go to visit a web page and they get an ad banner, or I don't know, maybe they steal your personal identification. It's hard to say. But it didn't actually lead to your record at all. Yeah, the new one hasn't leaked. So you sort of answered this, but I'm wondering how it's changed over the years too. Like, how does a leak of something that you own of your intellectual property actually affect your livelihood? Well, I suppose music at this point gets monetized by playing live on stage and through other exploitations of the music. Does leaking your stuff hurt you? I suppose in some ways it does. I mean, you know, in the sense that you want to have traditionally you sort of like line up the publicity with the release of the music and then it sort of screws the whole thing up. I mean, you know, interestingly, like hip hop kind of does that thing where they'll mix a record, it'll be done, and the next day they'll release it, you know, with like zero setup. Right. Just get it out there. And it, it's kind of awesome. I mean, I wish we could do that. What stops you from doing that? Good question. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe part of it is like the record labels sort of say, well, we have to find the right time in our calendar where we could devote our resources to helping this record. And and then they say, give us a few months. And like, that's maybe one of the things. Sure. Yeah, like leaking is just one of those reminders saying, oh, it's really hard to make money playing music. Does it affect how much you're going to charge for something else? Like, not just the leaking, but the fact that you don't really make money from recorded music. Does that mean your t shirt is a little more expensive? Does that mean the show is a little more expensive? Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Again, with the streaming, everybody can kind of get the music anyway. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's like an argument to be made that leaking's actually good. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like it used to be the case that people were stealing something that other people would eventually be paying for, but now you're kind of stealing something that everybody's going to get for free fairly soon anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the added aspect of it. I don't know, maybe we're at a post-leak era. Like, do people leak things anymore? Does it matter (laughs) if it leaks? I mean, who wants a leak? Who wants MP3s? Right. I guess DJs who use thumb drives on CDJs. (laughs) Are you taking some steps to keep this upcoming record under wraps? So I think Elia, who we work with, who works at Pitchfork, also said that you kind of brought the record in and just played it for everybody. Was that sort of before you're sending out advances, or is that in- instead of sending out advances? Probably right when the early advances were starting to get out there. I'm not sure exactly. You know, the funny thing is, I'm not sending the records out. Somebody at the record label does that. I know the copies are watermarks, and it's a weird thing now too. Like the state of the physical product and music now is it's, it's frustrating because you know we, we made our record at a rehearsal studio in Manhattan, and I would go around the corner every day for coffee, and so I, I got to know the baristas, and they'd say, "Hey, well, you know, give me a copy of this record you're making," and huh. I'm like, "How do I even do that? Like, what? I can't. There's nothing to give you. Like, here's a link. <laughs> like, right. how do I even give a person a link? It's just so." I mean, of course you can sort of send an email or something, but it's just it's just goofy. Cool. I I think that's all I got. Okay. Cool. Yeah, thanks for coming down to the office. Okay, yeah, thanks. Bye-bye. Right. Take care, Ian. Bye. It's so true. We are living in a different time. A post-leak world, if you will. I can only imagine that record labels and their lawyers are hard at work thinking about new ways to protect their artist intellectual property now and into the future. It just goes to show you in this digital world, we're all going to have to be able to adapt. Thanks again to Ian Williams and TalkHouse host, Josh Modell. 
Okay, we've learned a lot so far, some of it a little scary, but I think it's so important that we make sure we have the right tools to keep ourselves safe in this online world. Our next guest is one listeners will remember. I'm super excited that she is back and I can't wait to hear what she has to say about this topic. She's an author, a financial guru, and of course, host of the Money Girl podcast. Laura Adams, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Okay, this online, wow, it is scary when we think about all of the information that might be out there. What are some of the things that we don't even think about on a day-to-day basis that we're sharing? Yeah, so social media is, I think, going to trip up a lot of people. If you're posting that you're going on vacation, if you are you know, away. These are things that you might think is just really fun to Mm -hmm. to share, but we do have to think about it and be a little bit more, you know, keep things a little bit more close to the vest than we might want to, but it's going to pay off. That definitely touches the realm of personal security. Let's talk about financial security. What are we putting out there on a daily basis that we don't think about? Because I think about some of the things that I do after the fact, and I'm really shocked that I haven't had my accounts hacked. Yeah. So thinking about financial security online is so important. And if you are using bank accounts, you are using credit accounts, you're using these things online, and you know, we all are, you just have to make sure you're doing it in a smart way. For one, don't sit at the Starbucks and get onto your financial accounts. If you are in an unsecured environment, you're kind of like opening up your whole world to anybody who is spying on you. Only do this on insecure settings. So at home and you're on a protected network, that's when you want to go in, into your accounts. If you are sitting, let's say, a library where it's unprotected, any type of open uh, Wi-Fi environment is just not a good idea. Wait, keep your financial accounts until you get home and, and look at them there when it's secure. Do you have any tips on really how to manage social media, let's say, and really think about the safety of it without just deleting the apps? I know I use Instagram all the time. I do Insta stories all the time. And I'm probably maybe putting myself at risk and not thinking about it. So one thing is to think about who is your audience. Check your audience before posting on Facebook. If you are posting to the world, you are posting a lot more than you probably should. So make sure you're posting just to your friends, the people who you really know and who are truly connected to you. So that's one way. Also, limit who can reach you on Facebook. So check your settings. Make sure that you kind of clean up your profile, clean up your settings. There are a lot of security issues there if you use them. But if you, you know, don't know that they're there and don't turn them on, they're not going to help you. So again, don't overshare, but make sure that you are clear about who is getting that information. If it truly is just your friends, okay, post your pictures and your vacation. That's fine. But checking the settings is so key on all of your social accounts. And it changes so often that you might need to go back and check. Even if you feel like you have all of those security measures in place, sometimes they reset when they do an update and you don't realize it. Yeah, absolutely. So again, manage those apps. Just delete them. If you truly are not using them and you feel like they could compromise you in any way, don't use them. Um, Also, don't let your friends compromise you, right? So if your friends are posting pictures of you while you're away or or situations that are truly not safe, that's not good. So make sure that they can't tag you without your approval, you know, letting the friends know, hey, it's not that I don't want you to tag me, but I just want to be sure that I'm 
I'm not putting too much of myself out there in the world. Absolutely. Okay, one thing that you wish someone would have told you five years ago about how to stay safe online, what would it be? You know, I think it truly does come down to just being in a safe place when you're online because I use online accounts. I do so much of my finances online, but I have been guilty of being in, let's say, a Starbucks or someplace and opening up and using my financial accounts, online banking. And thank goodness I've never been compromised that I'm aware of. But I think if somebody had said, hey, that's not the place to do it, um, that would have been a a really good tip. So I want to share that for sure. How do you think people really should be looking at their day-to-day lives to avoid becoming a victim of identity theft. And this is not just online, but even day-to-day. I've had a lot of friends that have had credit cards opened under their name or maybe taxes trying to be filed under their social security number. So what are some ways overall, online and offline, that we really need to be protecting ourselves? So one way is simple. It is to review your credit reports. If somebody is trying to open an account in your name, you are going to see it on your credit report. But if you've never checked your credit report and you don't even know what's on there, you're really kind of going blind. So at least once a year, and I would say more like once a month, check your credit report or at least set up some alerts so that if anything is happening, you're going to know. There are some things that, honestly, we can't control. Like you mentioned, somebody filing a tax return in your name. If somebody stole your social security number and filed a tax return in your name, there's really no way you would know that until you go to file taxes and the government says, oh, you've already filed a return. So it does come down to protecting that social security number. I would say don't give it out unless it's absolutely necessary. And I mean like a new job or opening a new financial account. There are only really a couple of reasons why you need to give your social security number or your child's social security number out. And if it is not required, you know, push back. Say, you know, do do you really need this number? Or maybe just the last couple of digits, if you can get away with that too, is a little bit better. But this is something that we as consumers just have to push back and say, you know, I'm just not comfortable giving you that number. And you'll be surprised. A lot of people will say, oh, okay, it, it was just something that was on this form and they don't even know why they really need it. But once they've got it in their system, then it opens it up to the potential of being stolen. Oh my goodness. I guess that's another thing that you really need to think about if you have kids. You got to protect their credit as well. It is. And unfortunately, child identity theft is a growing problem because people know that kids have social security numbers, but nobody's really monitoring all of that information that closely. So what you can do is check their credit report. Kids have a credit report in some cases. If, let's say, you know, you co-sign something with them, maybe a teenager, car loan, they'll have a credit report. But if you've got young kids and they do have a credit report, that's a red flag. They should not have anything in their name. So, you know, go through the motion of checking to see what is their credit report and you'll you'll find out. If you see nothing, okay, whew, that's a good sign. Okay. But if you do find something, you'll need to address it immediately. Speaking of kids, they all have a device. They have a computer. They have a laptop. They have a phone or an iPad. How do we teach them to stay safe? Yeah, so locking these devices is key. And a lot of them don't want to, you know, they don't want to have to put in a a pin. 
they've got to do it. So make sure that they have set up some security so that, you know, if somebody were to steal their device or your device, that at least they could not access your apps and all of that confidential information. Thank you so much for all of these tips. Stay safe online, everybody. Laura Adams, we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Kelly. All right, we're at the end of another informative episode of the Safe Space Podcast. This one really hit home for me. Personally, I was excited to dive into today's theme because so much of our lives are conducted online. Some of it is a bit scary, I'm not gonna lie, but I think it's important that we know the threats are out there so we can better prepare and face them head on. I want to thank all of our incredible guests and contributors again for taking the time to sit down with us today and offer their insight and expertise. A big thank you to Jason Laporte and Cheddar News anchor, Hope King. Thanks to Krista Williams for sharing her story. Thanks again to Ian Williams and TalkHouse host, Josh Modell. And another big thanks to our guest and friend, Laura Adams, for sitting down with us. Be sure to check her out on the Money Girl podcast, available on TuneIn and wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to thank U.S. Bank for making all of this possible. Remember, you can always head to usbank.com slash financial IQ for any questions that you have about money. No matter how big or small your concerns, they've got a ton of resources that will help you make sense of it all. The Safe Space is hosted by me, Kelly Sutton, produced at TuneIn Studios by Charles Raggio and Jenner Pasqua, sound engineered and edited by Kevin Corrigian, with additional support from Joyce Reiser, Stratton Easter, Aaron Fredman, and Andrew Broadhead. Please be sure to subscribe so you can get alerted to all of our future episodes when they drop. And don't forget to like, comment, and share with all your friends and family. On the next episode of The Safe Space, we'll hop into a DeLorean and help you plan for your financial future. I know it can be scary, but hopefully our guests and experts can help you make your future bright. See you in the future. Future.